Hey, so yeah, chili cook-off and brownie, 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 brownie throwdown, brownie. I don't know what that is, but we don't want it. Uh, brownie, brownie throwdown this afternoon. Hey, even if you don't have chili or brownies to bring, bring something, bring your favorite football snack, come hang out. We'd love everybody to uh, come and join us. Listen, just to let you know, there's a golden ladle and a golden spatula up for grabs, so, and all the bragging rights for the next year, so, um, you know, all the, all the things that come with that, so. Make sure you come out and enjoy that time with us together. One of the things I really enjoy doing in life is traveling to other places. And, and when I say, tra- say traveling, I don't necessarily enjoy the travel part as much anymore um, because most of the time I'm just sore by the time I get there. Um, but I really like being in other places. Uh, I've gotten to go to a lot of different places over the years. feel very fortunate to be able to do that because I get to experience different cultures, different foods, different landscapes, uh, especially different people. And there's so many good and beautiful places to visit all over the world. I don't, I don't know how many of you, how many of you like to travel and go to other places? You enjoy that kind of thing? We should, we should start a travel group or something. I don't know. Let's, let's start going places and, uh, and being immersed in different cultures. I, to me, that is an invaluable thing to do. If, if, I could, if I could send everybody on a mission trip, I would do it because just, just the experience of being in a different culture, experiencing life not the way that we've always had it, it's just such a way to kind of break us out of our comfort zone and see the world with such, such a bigger perspective in life. I think that's really important, especially when you discover that there are some things that are better out there than are back home. And it's, it is okay to say that. There are some things that are objectively better in other countries than America. I'm just going to let you know that. I know that might be uncomfortable to hear, but it's, it's really true. I mean, some of the best things that I've ever experienced have been not, not at home. The best fish and chips I've ever had is in a really old pub in Ireland. And it, it was an amazing, amazing experience. The best pizza I've ever had, and this isn't overseas, but the best pizza I've ever had is a place in Denver, Colorado. And I, and I think about that pizza all the time. Now, not all of my things are food-related. <laughs> I, I, I promise that I enjoy about traveling. But some of the most friendly and hospitable people are people that I've met in remote places uh, around, around the world. Um, Ghana, West Africa, remote village somewhere there, on an island in the Philippines. You know, people that have, have no clue who I am. The way that I've been treated there have been amazing. Going down and working with our missionaries in Granada, Nicaragua. And, and just how welcoming people are in other cultures, other languages, have no reason to care who I am or what, what I'm doing there, uh, but just, just reach out. And uh, there's so many good things that you get to see and experience. And I know I won't get to go and experience all those things in, in my lifetime, but that's one of the things I'm looking forward to in heaven. You know, one of the descriptions of heaven is that every tribe and every nation, every tongue are going to be represented there. Uh, The earth is going to be redeemed and renewed in such a way that I think we get to enjoy it the way that that we're always meant to. Uh, That's how one of the ways that heaven is described. And uh, and I'm just really, really looking forward to that. One of the things, way before I got to travel as a kid, we we got National Geographic for a little while. You guys remember that? Is that still, does that exist anymore? I don't know. Does the magazine... It does. Okay. Like, y'all have subscriptions to it? That's how you know? Oh, no. Okay. So we don't actually know if the magazine exists anymore, but that's, that's okay. Uh, but really cool because you'd look through that and just so many fascinating other places. Uh, there also would be things that would just look, I think it's okay to say, uh, just weird. I mean, I'm just, there's a culture shock is a real thing. You go to other places, you don't understand these experiences, but I, I, I will never forget um, some of the things that I've seen in National Geographic, just some of the, uh, the, the you know, 
things that people find attractive throughout the world or the ways that, that people live. It's just, it's such a, it's such a uh, crazy thing that um, sometimes when you're traveling, it's great to visit those places, but it also it's great to come home. Because, I mean, home, you know, it's where the heart is, whatever that means. Um, you know, it's where your bed is, where your pillow is, where, where you, you can walk to your bathroom in the middle of the night and not, not kick the wall. You know, those, those kinds of things. Uh, your familiar foods, all those things that you really enjoy. Um, <clears throat> there's that feeling of comfort, but there's also this feeling of safety, too, right? There's so, so many things because we're used to how, how things are. Uh, we have a set of assumptions that we make and live out because that's, that's what we're used to. We're used to being where, where we live and where we've grown up. But just because we're used to life the way that we live it, where we live it, doesn't mean that it's the best that life, life can be. Sometimes the best pizza is in a different state. Sometimes the best fish and chips is in a different, a different country. In fact, um, it's likely that living normally, being in our comfort zone, um, is a primary way in which we do not live life at its God's created best. And this is, this is kind of us coming to the conclusion of the sermon series that we've been in for the last several weeks, Live No Lies. Um, the reason that we want to know and love the truth is that Jesus says he came to testify the truth and the truth sets us free. And sometimes it is the very environment that we live in, the culture that we are used to, the home life, that we've experienced that keeps us from understanding what the truth really is and what freedom really looks like. Um, John, and Jesus says in John chapter 8, verses 31, 32, he says to the, to the people who had believed them, the Jews who had believed them that were right there with him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And what Jesus identifies here is that we all live with certain ideas and thought processes and things that we engage in in our lives that that determine whether or not we are moving toward, toward God, whether or not we are living out the truth or what, whether or not we've been deceived by lies. Um, there's a spiritual warfare in which we're engaged. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, we are, our battle is not against people, but it's against evil. It's, a bit, it's against separation from God. And the spiritual is no less real than the physical. Um, there are three enemies of the soul that we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks that deal in those lies that keep us separated from God. Um, those are the devil. The devil introduces deceptive ideas to our flesh, um, the places in our lives that, that play to disordered desires that keep us separated from God. From God. So that's what those deceptive ideas are meant to, uh, to foster in our lives. And then the, the world then those deceptive ideas that play to our disordered desires, desires that are normalized in a sinful society, then becomes that third enemy of the soul. And so sometimes it's, it's the very things that we are used to, the, the very things that we call normal, everyday life, that, that might be the very thing that is harming our soul and keeping us separated from God. So the world, the world can, especially when you look in Scripture, can mean a few different things. Talk about the universe. So what God has created, the world can refer to just people, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So th there's a couple things that can, can refer to. Uh, but the third sense, and the sense that we're talking about this morning as we end our sermon series, is the world represents the system of values, priorities, and beliefs that unbelievers hold that excludes God. It's a moral and spiritual system designed to draw people away from God. 
So it's not just a neutral thing. It's not just a no God is represented here. It's, it's the very thing that is against God. It appeals to all people. It appeals to believers as well as unbelievers and calls for our affection, participation, and loyalty. Um, I, think, I think this is all, th- all things that we can commonly agree on because we can look and observe and see these things even in our culture today. The best life these days uh, is defined by freedom, by money, by following your heart. And religion could be a valuable add-on. You sprinkle a little bit of Jesus into following your heart and getting money and doing whatever you want, um, especially because God is love. You can almost have your cake and eat it too. The love, grace, mercy, and peace, even justice of Jesus can still be an attractive application to a person's life, especially if you can kind of keep the, the trappings of holiness, righteousness, repentance, and confession of sin. That would kind of threaten threaten the equilibrium there for us to kind of follow our heart, do what we want, those kinds of things. The individualistic nature of freedom that, that we use as a definition in our culture. Um, there, there's a term for this. It's called moralistic therapeutic deism. It's not, it's not Christianity. It's moralistic therapeutic deism. This, this is what it means. This, that's my favorite, one of my favorite phrases uh, that I've heard to, to, to use to describe this and the current temptation of followers of Jesus in a post-Christian society. Basically, the idea of moralistic therapeutic deism, say that five times fast, that, 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 that. Uh, basically, the idea is if I'm a good person, and, and if I do good things, and if I believe in God, who's kind of like a divine butler and divine therapist, if I believe that God loves me, I'm in great shape, and I'll go to heaven when I die. Um, that, that's, that's one of the biggest temptations we have in the church when it comes to how we relate to, how we think about, and how we follow Jesus in our lives. That's one of the biggest temptations we have within our culture and our society, is that this is, this is how we define what it looks like to live a good and happy life. The reality is, is that we all live in this country, and we're talking about this country specifically because this is the context that most of us are most familiar with, we live in a post-Christian society where it is normalized to live and operate in sin-broken ways. And because the world is the environment that we live in, we can either be a product of the environment around us that is broken or a product of the environment that God has always intended. And so the question for us is, especially when we recognize that the world, especially the world in terms of the systems that have been put in place that are, that are anti-God, that do not lead us to him, what do we do when we live in an environment and world that is antithetical to the way of Jesus? Well, John writes about this in 1 John chapter 2. And just in a couple verses, he identifies exactly what we should do about it. He says, starting in verse 15, this is 1 John chapter 2, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Again, three different definitions of, of the world. So we're not talking about the universe here. We're not talking about people. John's saying, John is not saying do not love people. He's saying don't, don't love the th- systems of the world that are antithetical to God. Uh, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. 
couple things that, three things specifically that John identifies there. That he says, hey, don't, don't love these things. These are the things that represent the world, and make sure you stay away from these things. Because, l- listen, they're temporary. They're not worth it. Those things that, those desires that we have that we participate in that do not satiate the eternity that's created within us, like, they're, they're not worth it because they're going to go away. They're not going to sustain anything in your life, but God will. And so be careful to lust of the flesh, which is the desire to do something that's apart from the will of God. It includes every sinful activity that appeals to the sinful hearts of people. So the lust of the flesh, don't love the world. And then he says the lust of the eyes. Whereas the lust of the flesh is the desire to do something, the lust of the eyes is the desire to have something apart from the will of God. It's, it's the things that we covet, the things that we're jealous about, the things that we're envious about. Uh, whatever's appealing to our senses but is not properly ours to desire or obtain falls under this category. And so do not love the world, do not love the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes. And this is the pride of life. And this is the desire to be something apart from the will of God. It refers to the boastful um, you know, spirit that we have in our life that we get to choose whatever we want, and as long as we're happy, then we're in good shape. Uh, the first desire, it appeals mainly to the body. The second appeals to the soul, and the third to the spirit. And if you look at these things, the desire to, to, to do something, to want to have something, or want to be something in broken ways, if you look at the world, we can see countless examples of how that is represented. Those sin-broken ways are represented and normalized in the society that we live in. Um, living in this type of environment creates a constant tension for us in life that, that has to be recognized has to be managed, um, and has to be, has to be dealt with head-on. There's this really old youth ministry um, illustration. Some of you, uh, maybe if you grew up in the church and you had a youth minister, maybe you've, you've heard of this before. But it's a, it's a classic, and what you do is, is you get two, two people and you get a chair. You have one person stand up on the chair, and you have the other person stand up on the ground. And you just say, all right, we're going to give both people the option of, one, of, of trying to pull the other person up to where, where they are, down to where they are. All right, so the first person who's on the floor, all right, you go ahead, you, you try to pull the, the person who's on the chair down. Well, they do that, and of course, it's very easy to do that. Um, if you've never tried it, we can try it later at the chili cook-off, and uh, we'll, ha- we'll have a great time with that, okay? Super easy to do that. All right, now it's the person who's on the chair. All right, now it's your turn to pull the other person up. It's, it's just not going to happen. Now, if, if you got, you know, uh, the strongest man in the world and you got, like, my youngest kid, <laughs> you know, to pull up, yeah, obviously you can make it happen like that. But that's just not generently how life works. And the illustration is, like, hey, life is like this. Um, when, when, we look, when we look and we think about and operate the, the environments that we live in, the friendships that we have, the way that we interact with the world around us, being up in the chair, being, being with God is, is, uh, is, is like this, where it is so much more difficult for us to pull somebody else up, especially somebody who is unwilling to come where we are and bring them, bring them up to us. And it's so much easier for somebody else and the environment that we live in, friends that do not have our best interests in mind, to pull us down to where they are. And so the whole point of the illustration is we got to be really careful about the relationships that we have with the people and the environments that we live and operate in, the things that are normal to us, the things that we take for granted as the way life, 
life should be because these things impact us in very real, practical, practical ways. For example, you know, the, the conclusion is if you aren't spending time with people that are living like Jesus, you aren't going to be living like Jesus. You know, it's, it's kind of the thing that you would take through with, with, uh, with, your, with your youth group. And so you hear things about things like, you know, kids go off to college and, you know, professor challenges their faith and they walk away from the faith. It's like, what, what is going on? Um, you know, somebody's called in question or, or, you know, somebody is getting persecuted because somebody said something mean to them about Christianity, which is, which is, which is not persecution. Um, or, or you hear about, you know, rumors about churches, you know, well, you got to be careful um, about what you say that scripture teaches in a church because one day you might lose your 501c3 status. And you think, yeah, because tax exemption is why we're here as a church. Like, that's, okay, that's, that's not quite what, <laughs> what matters to us. Um, and not that those things are not to discuss, but those are not the biggest problems facing the church. Those are not the biggest temptations follow, uh, that, that are facing Christianity, uh, the biggest problems facing our discipleship and following Jesus, or the biggest tr- problems in our kids being trained up in the way that they should go so when they're older they won't depart from it. The biggest temptation to not follow God we face in our culture is our culture. That, that's the issue. There's so many other things that we look to and blame and, and want to see as the problem, but the biggest, the biggest problem we have is just us being and living and acting and thinking normally. Normally in quotes, right? like, like everybody else in our society and culture. And so, you know, we're coming to this place where we've got to ask ourselves the question in the environment that we live in, who is pulling who on the chair? Um, who do we walk and talk and think and act like the most? Do we have more in common with our, with our neighbor who does not know Jesus, or do we have more in common with the Christian that is in a remote village in Africa who, do, who does know Jesus? And how do we think about that? And how do we interact and how do we live a life that reflects that? In, in Live No Lies, uh, John Mark Comer says this, and, and uh, I, just, I think the way that he says this is, is very compelling. He says, every follower of Jesus in every culture has to constantly ask the question, in what ways have I been assimilated into the host culture? Where have I drifted from my identity and inheritance? The temptation for us in the West is less to atheism and more to a DIY faith that's a mix of the way of Jesus, consumerism, secular sex ethics, and radical individualism. Um, when we think about the things that we spend our, most of our time interacting in, entertainment, YouTube, um, media, uh, 24-7 news cycle, marketing that we're constantly exposed to, the politics that have become the prevailing religion of our day, um, all of these things are producing discipling influence in our lives. All of these normalized things in our society are, are not necessarily pointing us to God. And in some ways, most of those things are trying to draw us away from him. Sinful society normalized means that the world isn't just a neutral influence in our lives that just happens to have an absence of God, but that there are things normalized in the world that are directly against God, part of the spiritual war we find ourselves caught up in, in a world that's broken by sin and separated from God. The disordered desires of the flesh then become just normal expectations in life where they should not. 
And this is, this is a thing that's been happening forever. So this is not just within our context. It's not just a thing that happens within our society and culture. But this is, has been what has been the story of humanity from, from the beginning. Uh, Paul identifies this in Galatians chapter 5. He says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, well, oh man, only, only check a couple things off that list. You know, so I'm, I, I'm probably doing mostly okay percentage-wise, I think. Um, but then we, start, then we start thinking about how those things are represented in our culture. So sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, right? So we think about hookup culture, casual sex. Uh, the local bar and club scene, those, those kinds of things that we engage in, the way that we define those things. Um, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. Have you ever been on Twitter before? <laughs> or, or any social media for, the, for, that, for that matter? Uh, cancel culture, most of the news, and, and what's, what's uh, shared with us there? Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. Well, how about politics? Whether it's office gossip or school gossip, or wherever it is, all the way to Washington, D.C., or envy. Man, how much envy do we experience just anywhere we go on the Internet? Or anywhere we go, do we people go to the mall anymore? I don't know. Advertising, Instagram, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Um, how about being addicted to drowning out life instead of meeting it head-on, whether it's through, I don't know, substances or maybe our phones? Um, what about the content? that we watch on Netflix and HBO that we're constantly exposed to. Um, remember, we're called to know the truth and to love the truth because the truth is what sets us free. Um, there are a lot of things that are just kind of normal in our society that we engage in, that we're exposed to, that enslave us to these wrong, broken ideas about how the world should operate and how we should live. And listen, all of us have participated in those things. When Paul's writing to the Galatians, he's not writing to a church of people who've never done any of these things. He's writing to the people and say, hey, this is what all of us have in our past. These are the things that we've, we've, we're tempted by. These are the things that have, have kind of had us, had us in chains in the past before. But remember, there's a whole new different way of living. The Roman Empire, like all of these things are just normal everyday living. These are things to be celebrated. And, and this is how you get ahead in the world and accomplish everything you want in the good life so you can be happy. And Paul is saying, no, remember, there, there's a completely different way in which we've been called to live, that we've been enabled to live through the Holy Spirit that gives us a much better life a much healthier and happier and sustained joyful and peaceful life. We just have to recognize that the context that we're in may not be the normal way that we've been called to live. And so he follows this up and he says, there, there's a different way. He says, the fruit of the Spirit, living the way that Jesus is, walking and talking and acting and thinking like Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And listen to verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Listen, we're, we've all participated in verses 19 and 21 that I just read before. We're on a level playing field, but those things don't produce the fruit of a godly, happy life. Just an unfulfilled one, an unsatiated one. 
The fruit of the Spirit is the life in which we experience the purpose and meaningfulness that the world cannot offer. And so when we recognize this, when we crucify the flesh, when we say, no, we're, we're going to separate ourselves and live in a different way, um, focused on the path that God is leading us on, participating as citizens in the kingdom of God, um, those disordered desires and crucifying them is what helps us to free ourselves from the deceptive lies of the enemy, the disordered desires that separate us from God, that moves farther, farther away from him, and the things that cause us to not recognize the normal kingdom life of a citizen of heaven. Let, let, let's be clear. Even the ways that we read scripture are probably affected by the wrong ways in which we define things and think about things in our culture. Our ideas of freedom, for example, have been completely corrupted in such a way that would not be recognizable as you read through scripture and define it in that way. Um, in our society, freedom has led us to this place that it means we can do whatever we want. So it leads Christians to say really stupid things. Is it okay that I say that? Because I said it. Let me give you an example, two examples actually. Um, stupid things like, you can pry my gun from my cold, dead hands. Or, my body, my choice. Equal opportunity offender, right? Um, these are not conclusions you come to from reading the Bible. But this is the natural progression of thinking when our culture influences more, us more than the Holy Spirit and God's Word. Imagine if Jesus used these two phrases as he is in the garden preparing to be the sacrifice for our sin uh, that takes away the sin of the world. As Peter pulls out his sword and cuts off the ear of a servant who's coming to arrest Jesus to protect him, what does he say? He says, that's right, pry that sword from my cold, dead hands. No, no he didn't say that. He says, put that thing away, man, and he heals the guy's ear. Um, Imagine as Jesus is sweating blood in the garden. He is so filled with the pressure that he is under to take away the sins of the world. And he says to, says to God, instead of saying, um, when he says, please take this cup from me, and he knows that God isn't. Imagine if Jesus said, my, my body, my choice. I, I'm not trying to make light of those things. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to point out the significance of actually reading Scripture and understanding how God thinks and how he operates in, in, the, in these ways. And what Jesus says is, not my will, but yours be done. Um, there are significant, meaningful differences and how the world around us thinks and operates versus how God calls us to live and experience love and joy and peace. Um, let me push into this just a little bit more. This is something I've shared before, but if you want to think about the church's impact on human history, especially the impact on the Roman Empire, actively persecuted, killed Christians because of their, what they considered pagan, horrible ethics and morals, to the Roman Empire becoming a Christian empire. Big quotes there, right? Anytime system of government claims to be Christian, that's a problem. All right. Um, the way in which the church made that impact was not because they were relevant 
are relatable to the culture, but because the church lived out the culture of the kingdom of God that Jesus established. For example, the church was multiracial and multi-ethnic with a high value for diversity, equity, and conclusion instead of tribalism and separating people out. Uh, the church was spread across socioeconomic lines as well. There was a high value for caring for the poor. Those with extra were expected to share with those with less. It was staunch in its active resistance to infanticide and abortion. It was resolute in its vision of marriage and sexuality as between one man and one woman for life. It was nonviolent, both on a personal level and political level. Listen, it would be foolish for us not to recognize how politically charged those statements are. I totally recognize this. I, we're just talking about the historical, actual things that happened in the church and how it impacted how people, Christians, lived out their faith in the world and how it changed the scope of the, of the entire human history. You read, you read that list, um, and the first two things sound like one political side of the spectrum. The second two things sound like the other side of the political spectrum. And the last thing, this whole idea of not using violence to get what we want, doesn't match with either one of them. You know, so, so again, it, it's not that we just need to pick the right side in the world to back in order for us to be on the right side of history to be with God. No, there's, there's a completely, wholly separate, different way that Jesus calls us to. Um, there's a tension in the world inherent with these standard Christian beliefs in our current society. And listen, I'm not saying that we should expect our society that does not view God as authoritative, authoritative to adhere to the truth that sets us free that God, God gives. So the, the issue here is not for us to take control of systems to change them in that way. It is to be the salt and light that Jesus has called us to, and that's what transforms our society by serving people and loving them, providing grace and mercy and justice, living within the holiness and righteousness, pointing to the glory of God through how we live and how we talk and how we walk. Um, the, the freedom and in individualism that, that are celebrated today, they're not, uh, the, the way their society defines them, um, they're not good biblical definitions. They're not even good philosophical definitions. Uh, the, the, type of, the type of freedom and individualism that's celebrated today, all it leaves is condemnation, unforgiveness, and legalism in its wake. The freedom to experience the good life for which God had created us and Jesus redeemed us for comes from being disciplined to a higher authority than ourselves in which we do not simply live for our own benefit. Um, I, I want us to listen to this prayer that Jesus prays on behalf of the disciples in John chapter 17, verses 14 through 19. He says, I have given them your word. He's talking about God's word. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in their truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. We're, we're still here. We're still in the tension. And, and that's, a, that's an intentional thing. Because we are meant to make an impact on the world because of the impact that Jesus has, has left in us. But that doesn't happen if we just live normally. Um, you know, you know so, we're, so we're left this idea, okay, what do we do about it? Living, living in the world, living within this tension, what do we do about it? Do we go start monasteries and communes and hide from everybody? Um, 
That'd be great. I mean, if somebody wants to buy a thousand-acre farm and uh, I'll, you know, we'll, we'll all go live there, that's, that's cool. No, Jesus doesn't ask that we're taken out of the world. We're called to be salt, salt and light, ambassadors of the hope and the good news that comes from following Jesus. And there's a way in which Jesus has established for us to live in the world and seek to influence the people surrounding us with the good news. There's a solution for all of us that he has given and Jesus has established, and it's the church. The church is the community that Jesus establishes in which the culture of the kingdom of God is meant to thrive. The call to follow Jesus is a call to join this community. There's no personal relationship with Jesus described in the Bible. Uh, Do we have a, a relationship with God that he desires to be in communion with us? Absolutely. But our relationship with God was never meant to be personal. It was meant to be shared and lived out among one another. Uh, By following Jesus together and not alone, we're able to discern Jesus' truth from the devil's lies, help one another override our flesh by the Spirit, and form a community of deep relationships that functions as a counterculture to the world. And when we participate in the church as, as a community, we are able to help one another resist these three enemies of the soul, the devil, the flesh, the world that we have been talking about the last several weeks. Deceptive ideas that play to disorder desires that are normalized in a sinful society. The church is the counterculture to those enemies of the soul. It's the revolt against the failed secular systems of the world. A community set free through the truth of Jesus, whose hearts and minds and approach to life are no longer separated from God. Um, let, me, let me just share three, uh, three examples of the community necessary that we need from, from this book, Live No Lies, that was kind of the inspiration for the sermon series. Again, I, I highly recommend taking the time to, to read this. Um, three, three examples of the type of community that we are meant to foster together. Um, let me... Let me just really highlight that, foster together, not have curated for us. Okay, so this is, this is the thing that we participate in together to, to create with one another. One, a community of deep relational ties and a culture of individualism and isolation. We're meant to be in communal relationship with each other and with God. Spiritual friendship and prayer and service to one another should mark how we engage in this spiritual relationship to which we're called. Um, Two, a community of holiness and a culture of hedonism. Hedonism refers to anything that we seek pleasure over uh, anything that's right. Like that, that is the highest good is for me to feel this one thing in this moment that is not lasting at all. And so I keep facing, you know, being addicted to this thing, thinking that it will accomplish what, it, what I need it to, but it never does. That's what hedonism is. Um, l- let, me, let me just kind of press in to this, to this other, uh, another historical example. Jesus' call... Um, through, throughout scripture um, to limit our sexuality to one partner of the opposite sex for life was mystifying. This was challenging to the entire empire. Okay, this was not a popular thing at all presented in the culture. But that, that idea and that teaching became traditional across the entire world because so many people realized that it led to human flourishing. Just a different way of thinking about things than, than how they are presented by the world, okay? That, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm presenting to you. Um, but in our post-Christian deconstructionist zeitgeist, they've become radical yet, yet again. That, that those same ideas of, of Jesus and pleasure and how we, how, why we pursue holiness and why that produces the happiness that hedonism doesn't. Um, third, a community of order and a culture of chaos. 
disciplined habits of gathering together regularly, supporting one another in our needs, serving one another with how God has richly blessed us, works together to provide the stability and joy and peace that God designed us for. Uh, People cannot live without purpose, meaning, and community. And the world that we live in, the society, the culture that we're surrounded in, it doesn't produce those things. God does through the church and through the community he's called us uh, together to be in. We continue to be living in a time where following Jesus and being thoughtful and forgiving and unifying and kind and consistent and full of fruit of the Spirit create conspicuous opportunities opportunities for us to share the love and good news of Jesus. Just those, just those, just those handful of things. I mean, there's so much more that comes from it. Just those handful of things are so desperately missing in our, in our world and in our culture, in our society, that people are yearning for other people to be the example of, to pursue those things. Forgiveness. Uh, I mean, caring about one another. I, th- those are the things that, that give us an opportunity to share the good news of the gospel. Um, God offers a brand new way of living that's f- truly free and fully of hope, full of hope. And so my, my desire for us to know and love the truth as a community of believers as an assemble, as assembly, as a church of faithful dis- disciples, um, I, I desperately want us to be committed to be with one another because of how God chooses us to be with us. Because that's the thing that makes a difference. That's the thing that changes the world. That's the thing that, that changes the entire scope and makeup of an empire. That's the thing that changes the entire history and scope of, of humanity. As we humbly pursue living out the truth of God's word, the lies become more exposed, the truth becomes more and more beautiful, and the joy of sharing it with one another and those in the world hands the enemy defeat after defeat after defeat. Let me encourage you to pursue and prioritize being in community, building spiritual friendships with those in the church. This is the, this is the thing that Jesus has set up for us to experience all this fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5, for us to experience the, the fullness of God's grace and truth represented in the gospel through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection and the way in which God has called us to be redeemed and reconciled to him so that we might not be separated from him any longer. Church, showing up to church, being a part of a small group, taking the time in, in your week to prioritize, checking in on something. Man, when, when you think, I wonder how so-and-so is doing, that is the Holy Spirit saying, you need to check in on this person. Praying for one another. Spending time with one another. I don't, I don't care where it is. I don't care what you're doing. It could be at, at, at a diner, you know, and, and just getting together for coffee once a week, whatever the thing is. Man, let me, let me just encourage you the most I can. Those types of relationships that you spend time prioritizing and developing your life are going to be the most important things that you do when it comes to how you follow and live out your faith within community and how it impacts how we experience life in the world around us and the tension that we're constantly in in a world that's broken by sin. Um, if you don't know where to start with that, um, come to church. Um, don't run out the door at the end. Um, just kind of walk slowly through the lobby and look really awkward, and, and somebody will, will, will talk to you. Um, you know, the other person who kind of looks at you awkward, like my, they might be here for the first time too, or, or, you know, they might not know who you are either. And so 
if we're just willing to kind of put ourselves out there, um, man, that would be a great starting point. Joining a small group, I, I get, I get you got stuff going on. I got stuff going on too. I could do other things with my time. I get Saturday morning, I want to sleep 8.30 at Golden Corral at the Golden Trough, whatever. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. But it's got, you know, plenty of space for us to get together. Like, I understand, like, sleeping in, all that kind of stuff. I get it. Um, take a nap afterwards. I, you know, or, or just go to bed earlier the night before. I, novel idea, you know. Um, stop watching Netflix Friday night. I don't, I don't know. What, whatever it is, like, th- those kinds of things... Um, in the moment, might seem like, ah, I don't really have time with that. Just you know, that, That's a deceptive idea introduced by the enemy, playing into a disordered desire to normalize us in a sinful society. You see, you see how those things work? Um, take time to, to commit to those kinds of things, and it will completely change the trajectory of your life. Um, instead of being dragged down from the top of the chair to, to the floor... Um, what you're going to discover is that there's a whole new, brand new type of strength that you have to help people up who are desperately looking to live out and know the truth versus the lies that they've been told. Let's pray. God, um, just, just considering the way in which you come to us, you provide the way back to you. And the the ways in which you have provided for us to to be able to not get get stuck and enslaved by by ourselves, um, by the the problems of this world. It's an astonishing thing. God, we, we see evil represented in so many ways so often. Um, this past weekend, we, we, we get an yet another example of how the broken systems of this world produce, um, just produce anger and division. And God, we know that there's a different way. That, that forgiveness, that living righteous lives, that, that prioritizing the way of Jesus leads, leads to something so much more unifying, um, so much more life-giving and sustaining. God, we want to live that out as a church. We want to experience that within our community. We want to foster that together. God, lead us through your Holy Spirit. Show us the way in which we can participate in God, help us to not sit back and wait for those things to be produced for us, but for us to step out and engage in in those things, being guided through your Holy Spirit as you seek to help us to be connected to one another so that we can serve and pray for and care for one another, so that we can encourage one another, so that we can celebrate with one another the joy, the peace, the happiness that only comes from us pursuing your holiness. God, we we ask you to protect us from the lies. God, we we ask that you give us the desire uh, to do the good things that you have called us and created us to do. And God, we ask ask for the people in our lives that you have brought along the way to to help us along, to be the the friends 
um, the family that, that we need to be encouraged as citizens in your kingdom. God, we thank you uh, for all that you do, for all that you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.